This is episode 195, Are You in a Relationship with a Narcissist? Welcome to Over It and On With It. I'm your host, Christine Hassler, and for over a decade, I've been a life coach, speaker, and author. Each week, you'll hear me work directly with a caller as I coach them through a goal they want to accomplish or an obstacle they may be facing. I'll provide a blend of practical and spiritual advice as well as tangible actions you can apply to your own life. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating and reviewing the show. If you haven't done so, head on over to iTunes and click to rate. And if you have extra time to write a review, those mean so much to me. I always read them. Have a really important and interesting episode for you today. And one of the topics we cover is narcissism. We also talk about being an empath. We also talk about the kind of people we attract when we feel like we didn't belong as a child. We also talk about why often empaths are highly sensitive people attract narcissists. One thing I do want to clarify is that I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not in the business of diagnosing narcissists. However, with the caller, I asked her many questions and even asked her, does she think that this person she was in a relationship with is a narcissist? And her answer was yes. So when it comes to diagnosing anyone, including yourself, with something like a personality disorder like narcissism, I highly encourage you to seek out professional advice about that. However, there are some telltale signs that someone could be either narcissistic or displaying high tendencies of narcissism. Also, you empaths out there, this is a great call for you to listen to. I think that you'll have even a deeper level of understanding about yourself. Before we dive in, I wanted to share something personal that I went through that was actually pretty awful. <laughs> in hopes that from sharing my experience, it will mean something to one of you listening. I always both learn from my personal experience or lessons for myself, but also try to pay it forward as much as I can because, you know, we're all in this together. So I think on the show I shared about how last month I was dealing with anxiety and I feel like anxiety was up for a lot of people. So part of it felt like, you know, it's kind of just tapping into the collective that April, early May felt like a lot of people just felt anxious or off. Talked to a lot of friends who were feeling that, especially women. But this was intense for me. It was anxiety that was going into panic attacks and I'm not someone that has had panic attacks. So it was very scary and I thought it was just, you know, a one-time thing, but then it kept happening and it wasn't triggered by anything. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd be in the grocery store, they would just come out of nowhere. And it was, like I said, very intense and really scared me. None of my tools were working. And I just kept feeling like something was off. You know, some of my coaches were saying, it's just a rite of passage and it's a deeper lesson and you're learning how to let go of control even more. And I was like, no, something's really off. And then finally, after three weeks of this hell, I put some dots together and realized I had started some new supplements that were these custom blended supplements for me, like a B vitamin and AM powder and PM powder because I had all this testing done because I'm trying to get my hormones all in balance and my adrenals all in balance. And anyway, long story short, these supplements that were made by this lab that were supposedly customized for me, they triggered something in me that was highly disagreeable. <laughs> and I did some research and you know, we can have different kinds of genetics that 
interfere often negatively with different kinds of supplements. And so once I stopped, all the anxiety and panic went away. Now, I have had a little anxiety from the PTSD of all of that and being like, oh my gosh, is it going to happen again? I mean, I, there were days where I felt like I couldn't leave the house. So I have so much even more compassion for any of you out there that suffer from anxiety, debilitating anxiety or panic attacks. If you haven't had a panic attack, I hope you never do because they honestly feel like you're going to die. And I learned some great coping skills before I learned what was going on. Breathing obviously helped a lot. Breathing in for seven counts, breathing out for seven counts, making lists of gratitude. I was on the plane when I had one. That was awful. And the thing that pulled me out of it was just spending an hour writing everything I was grateful for because gratitude, it's been scientifically proven that gratitude can help pull you out of anxiety. Tossing like a small little crystal or cap from a bottle back and forth from my right to left hand, that kind of helps balance out the brain chemistry. Getting off caffeine, last month got me off coffee, and just doing things to calm my nervous system. So that's one of the things I wanted to share. But the main thing I wanted to share is really, really trust your intuition when you feel like something's off physically. You are your own best resource when it comes to something like that. And there's a difference between worrying. Worrying is more like having something and then just going to worst case scenario thinking. An intuition or a gut feeling is like just knowing something isn't right in your body, like just not feeling like yourself. So I don't say that to have you go into a state of panic. I just say that to empower you and keep asking the questions and finding the people that can help you until you arrive at an answer. And also, whenever you start taking any kind of supplement, no matter, or medication, no matter how great the doctor tells you it is, do your own research and also add things in slowly. You know, the mistake I made, and I should know better by now, but I've never had any problems with supplements in the past, is I just started everything at once. And instead of just kind of easing my way in and really noticing how it was making me feel. So we never know how we're going to interact with something. And I, again, don't say this to scare you, but I think a lot of times people are suffering from anxiety because there's something biochemically off. And they do all the emotional work. Like that was my case. I know I didn't have any unprocessed trauma. I wasn't in a stressful time in my life. So I couldn't figure out where this was coming from. And a lot of times it is chemical. I know a lot of women that after postpartum, they have massive anxiety that comes up. It's a chemical reaction that happens in the brain. And there are answers and there is help and there is a way to rebalance it. It's just sometimes it's unique for everyone. I don't, I don't have the answer for you if you're someone that's dealing with that. Again, you are your own best internal clinician. And I just encourage you to pray for the answers, pray for support, pray for help. But if you physically feel something's off, listen to that, not from a place of panic, but from a place of, all right, help me find the answers. And that's what really shifted it for me is I was like, all right, I'm just going to trust myself. I know something's physically off. What is different in my life? And then I put the dots together and I was like, ah, it was that. So I hope a piece of that was helpful for you. Like I said, I'm doing much better. The only bummer is being in fight or flight for almost a month really zapped my nervous system, 
my immune system. So I got a cold. My adrenals got tapped. And so now I'm really in a stage of rest and restore. So that's one more thing I want to share with you. If you've gone through a stressful time, and it doesn't mean it was, you know, anxiety and panic attacks. If you've just gone through any kind of stress, you've got to take time to rest and restore, to really stop moving around. Like I've stopped working out for a little while, just rebuilding my adrenal glands, getting massages, resting as much as I can, canceling plans when I need to, and just letting my system come back. That's the beautiful thing about the body. It can repair, it can heal, but we have to give ourselves time to repair and heal. So ask for the support you need from the people in your life so that you can stop and rest and restore. And even if you're like, well, I can't take time off work or whatever your excuse to resting and restoring is, just move slower. Take more time in the morning so you're not rushing. Take pauses in the middle of the day. Set a little timer on your phone every 20 minutes. Take a deep breath. Take a walk during the middle of your day. So if you can't totally just take time off, slow yourself down and take pauses during the day so that you don't keep going at that accelerated pace because you don't want to burn out your adrenals and your immune system. Those are muy importante. Okay. So in this call with Sarah, we're exploring whether or not she made, in her words, the right decision to break up with an ex. She's having trouble getting over him. But we discovered some qualities about him that makes it a little easier for her to get over him. As you're listening to this call, consider, are you having trouble getting over an ex and doubting your choice about ending it? Do you think or do you know you've been in or are in a relationship with a narcissist? And if you are or have been, are you feeling some shame and self-judgment around that? When you grew up, did you feel like kind of a weirdo, like the one who didn't belong? And finally, are you an empath, a big feeler, and do you tend to take on other people's feelings? So keep those questions in mind when you listen to my coaching session with Sarah. Before we dive in, I want to talk to you about your feet. Do you use and abuse your feet? Do you walk around in heels or flip-flops or uncomfortable shoes? Let me tell you, as someone who had a foot injury last year, you really want to stop doing that. Your feet are one of your most important body parts. And honestly, there's so much that happens with your body that starts in your feet. Back pain, hip pain, neck pain, even your digestion can be impacted by your feet. So I really want you to wear comfortable shoes, which is why I love Rothy's. Rothy's are the everyday flats for life on the go. They don't put you in heels or put you in flip-flops, which mess up your feet. They're stylish and versatile, and they go with everything from yoga pants to dresses and skirts. They come in a wide range of colors and patterns. They're available in four different silhouettes, plus they're constantly launching new styles, so you're guaranteed to find some you love. They have playful design and fun pops of color to add to every outfit while still looking polished and professional. Plus, Rothy's always come with free shipping and free returns and exchanges. No risk, no worries, no reason not to try them. And it will blow your mind that these shoes are made from recycled plastic water bottles. In fact, Rothy's has diverted over 25 million water bottles from landfills. Another major bonus, they're machine washable. Every time they need a refresh, you can just pop them in the washing machine. So go to rothys.com slash over to get your new favorite flats. Again, rothys.com slash over. All right, everybody. And now on to my coaching session with Sarah. 
Sarah, welcome to the show. What's your question? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am wondering how to really let go of an ex or maybe if that's even the thing that I should do. Okay. Are you questioning whether you should get back together with the person? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So what's got you questioning it? Well, it's somebody that I was with for a long time and we had a really deep connection and there was a lot wrong with our relationship, but there were also some really good parts. So I guess I'm having this internal struggle around it. Okay. Well, there can be, you know, a thousand good parts, but if there's one wrong part that really is fundamentally unhealthy or not what you want in terms of core values, the good stuff doesn't make up for it. You know, when you think about relationships, it's not like putting together a retirement portfolio where you do a pie chart of, well, I want this much risk and this much this. It's (laughs) the good doesn't outweigh the bad. Now, that said, Mm -hmm. everybody has stuff. Everybody has arguments. No matter what things are going to bother you about a person that you're living with or married to or whatever. But when it comes to the things that are off or the things that are challenging, if they're unhealthy, if they fundamentally stay the same like all the time, if there's never any growth or never any shift, there's, there's a difference between using challenging times to help you grow as individuals versus just having challenging things where two people are just so opposite that you're just in this cycle of fight, make up, fight, make up, break up, get back together, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So all that being said, what was off with the relationship? Why did you break up? Well, there were a lot of things, uh, a lot of disrespect I felt. Okay. I'm a really ambitious person and wanted to focus on career and so someone who was like, no, you should be focusing on me and wanted all my time and said that, you know, they supported me as far as career, but anytime work took away from them, they would throw a temper tantrum, honestly. Uh huh. What kind of a temper and, tantrum? What do you mean by that? Uh, would be very vocal about how hurt they were, try to make me feel guilty for focusing on my career. And it, let me preface that by saying I, I didn't totally shut off every other aspect of my life, but there are times when you have to put more stock into work or more stock into different things. And they didn't respect that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they also numbed out um, with a lot of drugs and alcohol. Uh-huh. And that was kind of a big deal for me. Okay. Anything else? I think that that's the the basis of it. So you felt unsupported, disrespected, and disconnected at times because that person numbed out. Yeah. Okay. Was he a conversation hoarder? Do you feel like you were able to speak and get your, you know, get your truth in and have good conversation with him or did it kind of, did he kind of monopolize things? Well, I was allowed to speak. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of times <laughs> I think a lot of what I said fell on deaf ears. Okay, like you weren't really being listened to. Yeah. And how was he with boundaries? Not good. Okay, not good how? Just didn't respect them at all. Okay. Oh, yours or other people's or just mainly yours? No, everyone's pretty Everyone. much now that I think about it. Okay. Yeah. Did he ever um, kind of present a false image to the world? Like would exaggerate or kind of pretend he was somebody he was not or do any of that kind of stuff? Yes. Okay. 
Yeah, I definitely feel like part of his MO was to make himself seem like this really great, wonderful guy. Uh And don't get me wrong, he could be at times, and there were really great things about him, but I definitely felt like a lot of it was a facade, wanting everything to look perfect from the outside. And I felt like as his partner, I was tasked with helping him with that. And I was expected to also keep that up. Right, right. And you said there was some entitlement. Obviously, he kind of expected you to focus more on him. Yeah. Was he charismatic, charming, persuasive, any of those things? Oh, all of the above. All of the above. Okay. So, I mean, I don't have to keep going. Have you considered that this person is a narcissist? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just asked you some of the key ones. I mean, I could keep going and you'd probably say yes to, you know, more of the, the checklist. So how does that feel to admit that and to know that? I guess it feels sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, he was, a, I don't think he was a horrible person or anything like that. And it feels like I'm attacking him to say that. Well, that's typical of someone who's been in a relationship with a narcissist to say. Yeah. Because... There's so much emotional and psychological manipulation that goes on when you're in that kind of relationship that you sort of, you you end up, you start doubting yourself. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everything that you've said to me, which wasn't you bad mouthing, it was just you telling the truth. Now you're going, oh, now I feel bad. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of like, generally when people are in relationship with narcissists, their sense of self gets so small and they kind of get so worn down that one, they start to question who they really are. And two, Mm -hmm. it's almost like you kind of have to, and you may not be doing this consciously, you kind of have to feel compassion and, and feel a little sorry for him or bad for him in order to balance out how awful you feel for allowing yourself to be involved in a relationship like that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So kind of repeat back to me how you heard me say that. That over time you get worn down and it erodes any sense that you have of yourself. Yeah. And in order to almost justify yep. being with them and how they act in their personality, you almost take on that role of pitying them. Yeah. And compassion. Cause it's like, you've got to kind of feel yeah. love for them in order to make up for, you know, just the, the shame and the judgment and the anger and everything that can often come up when in that kind of mm-hmm. relationship. So what do you, what do you know about narcissism? That it's really bad. <laughs> um, that it's very manipulative. I think that's the big key word that comes to my mind when I think of a narcissist. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there are different levels of it, but it is a personality disorder, mm-hmm. you know, and the causes are, they can be genetic, they can be environmental and, you know, it, some versions of it can be treated, but it, it has to be diagnosed and treated by a professional mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily make him a bad person. It's like the thing with narcissists is they aren't even aware of how, you know, so there's the psychological definition to it. And then I kind of look at like, why does this develop for people? And my guess is it happens, you know, yes, it could be genetic or biological or whatever, but I also think that there are traumatic 
factors involved. Like something happens Mm -hmm. where that person's emotional body gets so wounded that they just like disconnect from it totally and completely. And so they develop sort of this protective personality disorder that keeps them from ever really truly feeling empathy for another person because they just kind of shut down the emotional body. Mm -hmm. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. So what are you thinking as I'm saying all this? I guess I'm thinking that it was right for me to leave. Yeah. Well, it was self-honoring for you to leave. Yeah. How long were you together? Uh, Almost five years. Okay. And how old are you now? I'm 28. Okay. So you got got a lot of dating and lifetime ahead of you, you know? (laughs) And it's such a beautiful time in your life, your 20s and early 30s to, you know, be dating and single and getting to know yourself and, and healing from this as well. So let's, let's shift the focus off to him and bring it back to you, Sarah. Okay. What, in terms of the lessons, right? The evolutionary lessons and and why you drew this in, what, what attracted you to him? And PS narcissists are very attractive because they're very charismatic (laughs) and they have big personalities. So believe me, I've had a relationship with a narcissist and, and I've shared about it on the show before. Like I, I literally, you know, would go into a conversation 100% knowing something was true. Like I use the example of like knowing I'm wearing a green shirt and leaving the conversation going, oh, well, I guess I am wearing a blue shirt. You know, like it, it's so manipulative and convincing and, and you end up just going, oh my God, like oh, how can I let this happen to myself? So yeah. I mean, thank God that relationship was only like eight to 10 months long and I was able to get out of it pretty quickly and get the learnings from it. But I just, I share that with you because I don't want you to have any shame. That's not going to help the healing journey or how did I not see this or how did I allow this to happen? It's really, really important that you, you, and, you know, on a soul level, there was love there. You know, that's the Mm -hmm. thing with narcissists is there's moments where you feel like you have the person you know, where they're, they show you glimpses of who they truly are. And that's what hooks, that's what keeps us there, you know? So, you know, just know you're in good company. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of people on the show and, you know, it's, it's actually more common in men than it is in women. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, men are even less encouraged to show any emotion. So they just develop defensive strategies to shut it down. I could totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, back to you, why do you think you drew this in? What made him so attractive to you? Well, definitely he was a charmer Mm -hmm. and there was manipulation there, but I think I probably wasn't in the best space as far as Uh self-confidence. And it was someone who in the beginning really lifted me up and made me feel really loved and made me feel so good about myself. Uh Uh-huh. But then over time, I feel like that went away and walking away from that relationship, I think my confidence and self-worth was lower than it ever had been. Yeah. And how did it get so low? Like what would he say or do that really impacted you the most? There were a lot of boundaries that I felt that he should have had with other females, for example. And I don't think I was being crazy or unreasonable. Yeah. Uh, and he would always make excuses 
And by the end of a conversation, I would be convinced that I was a crazy, you know what, for uh, having concerns about it. Right. That's like, that you was think a, your shirt's blue and then you walk out thinking it's green. Yeah, yeah. And that was a huge pattern that just repeated throughout the time I yeah. was with him. Yeah. Yeah. What else? Just not valuing my opinions and my own values. Mm-hmm. They were always kind of pushed to the wayside. Yeah. But it's hard to point the finger and say that that was his fault because I I put myself in that situation and I... I was the one that gave up those values and let those things slide in order to appease him. Right. Well, that's the thing with this, with narcissists, the the personality is so strong that mm-hmm. it's easier just to acquiesce than fight. Because yeah. in so many ways, that's the only way you don't poke the bear and that's the only way you keep the relationship. So let's go back a little further into, you know, sort of the, the life lesson or soul lesson, because there's a reason why you drew this learning experience and this relationship into your life. Do you have any sense of what that is? Well, I think I've always struggled with loving myself and valuing myself. And maybe it was a big wake up call to make me finally start working on that. Well, that's definitely true. This is definitely a wake up call for you. And I love that you and I are on the phone and that we're talking about this, but what made you not like yourself so much? What made you so hard on yourself? Um, I guess I've always been a perfectionist Uh and just had really high standards for myself. And well, you weren't born a perfectionist. You you became (laughs) one because that's what you thought you needed to do in order to be loved, fit in or stay safe. So why do you think yeah. you developed, why do you think at some point in your life as a, as a young girl, you decided that being a perfectionist was going to be a good idea and having high standards of yourself was going to be a good idea? So I think I always felt like an outsider and my parents always really supported me, but I never felt like I fit in really with my peers or if I did, I think it was always kind of short lived. So that was a big part of it. Yeah. And how do you feel like you didn't fit in? Like, where did you not feel not enough? I, gosh, I don't even really know just in any way. I yeah. I guess I was always just looked at as a weirdo and kind of felt like one. Yeah, I get that. You know? And what was it like at home for you? Home was fine. Like my parents were extremely supportive of me and held me and, and helped me through any of those tough times that. I had. Right. So these feelings, they led to me struggling with an eating disorder. Yeah. The feelings of feeling like you were an outsider. Yeah. Yeah. And so that didn't do much for my self-worth either. Of course. Of course. Which eating disorder? It started as bulimia and kind of morphed into anorexia and bounced back and forth for years. And where are you with that now? It's not something that I struggle with uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Uh, some of those tendencies or thought patterns will rear their heads sometimes yeah. if I'm really, really stressed or going through a really difficult period in my life. But it's not something that I, I struggle with on a regular basis like I used to. Okay, great. And would you say that you're an empath? Very much so. Yeah, I thought so. So <laughs> <laughs> this is, let's exchange the word weirdo for empath. Mm -hmm. Because that's really the truth. 
and yeah, that's feels a lot better than yeah, calling myself a weirdo. Yeah, well, we're all weirdos, right? Truly, we are. <laughs> and um, but weirdo has a has a, a judgmental tone, and it, it separates us. So, and and I got this for you since we first started talking. You are an empath, and it's a gift. And you just haven't really used, learned. It's unfortunate because until empaths really learn to use empathy as a gift, it honestly feels like a curse. Yeah. And I'm not surprised. And it's very common for empaths to be drawn to narcissists, which you'd be like, well, that makes no sense. Why would someone that feels so much be drawn to someone that doesn't have like the ability to emotionally connect? Well, it's a couple reasons. I think at the core, a lot of narcissists were big feelers and just shut down. Mm-hmm. So it's the two extremes. It's big feelers who just shut off feelings and big feelers who just feel everything. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's very common for empaths as well to have eating disorders because it's hard for an empath to be in the body. And one of the ways an empath feels some kind of control over the body is by controlling body and weight and all of that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And eating disorders are basically about control, which I'm sure you know. So yeah. I hope all of this is just making you feel a little more normalized, you know? And and again, like it's just so important to talk about these things. I so acknowledge your vulnerability and I'm so glad we're starting to take the shame off of all this. But if you yeah. can kind of go back to your childhood and go, and here's the thing, like you grew up in a loving home, but when your mom had you, the hospital didn't hand her a manual on how to raise a child with who's highly sensitive. Here's how you mm-hmm. raise an empathic child. Like most people are handed those kind of books and it isn't really talked about. So they didn't really know how to help you process everything that you were feeling from yourself and from everyone around you. And of course you mm-hmm. felt like an outsider. Of course you did. Because there was so much you were processing that other people weren't, you know? And the other thing about empath is it can also, we can sometimes also feel a little socially awkward. Does that make sense to mm-hmm. you? Oh, yeah. And I totally, totally connect with that. Yeah. So how does that show up for you? How do you feel socially awkward? I find it really hard to make friends once I, I mean, I'm a pretty outgoing person once right. I get to know someone. And once I get to know you, then we're good. But initially getting out there and forming new friendships is really difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah. And how is it difficult? What specifically? It just feels very unnatural, I guess, and Uh awkward. And I think because I've put so much judgment on myself that something's wrong with me or that I'm weird and different, I guess I play that narrative in my head of, well, they wouldn't like me. I'm so weird. I'm so different. Why would they have anything to do with me? Right, right. So that self-judgment has become one of your protective patterns. Because, again, until we learn how to use being sensitive as a gift, it does feel overwhelming and it does feel like a bit of a curse. So we develop all these kind of unconscious strategies to keep ourselves isolated and separate. And so the self-judgment of... I don't fit in. They won't like me. Da 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 da. It's just one of the ways your psyche is trying to almost protect you from being in the world. Yeah. So the way through this is first of all, and this is hard for all people, especially empaths, we can be good at loving others. 
We can love even people that are really hard to love, like your ex. But when it comes to truly, really loving ourselves and meeting our own needs and giving ourselves what we need, sometimes we struggle with that. And that perpetuates the self-worth problem. So, yeah. And it's, I, I try, I mean, I try to do all of the quote unquote self-love things and I don't know, I guess I've never felt like that switch flip. Right. I've never woken up and been like, Oh my God. Yep. It, I finally did it. I really love myself. Now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know that it's a switch. It's kind of a process, you know, it's in yeah. and out. So I, I like to think of when I think of my relationship with myself and self-love, it's really about how I treat myself because chasing a feeling like waking up and like, do I feel like I love myself? Like, I don't know. I feel like I love my fiance, but I don't know. Do I feel like I love myself? It's kind of hard to feel how you feel towards yourself because most of our feelings towards ourselves are generated through our Mm self-talk. So where I would encourage you to practice is really, because basically he, this relationship was a mirror to you on how you are with yourself. Disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to basic needs interrupt your yourself, right? Like oftentimes you may, for example, you may have a beautiful idea about something about, Oh my God, maybe I'm going to start a business where I'm da, 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 da. And then the self-critic is like, that's stupid. You won't be able to do that. You'll make more money. You'll make no money. So do you see how like you'll have like an encouraging thought and then you'll interrupt yourself. So how this relationship was also a mirror and a lesson was it was showing you, you know, basically what you look like in your own head. Can you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah, I think that, you know, I don't know what you're quote unquote doing for all the self-love stuff, but really I want you to observe your self-talk like so astutely. I remember when I was really working through this years ago, I came up with the idea because as a kid, I was an actor and always loved to like be on TV and stuff like that. And so I made up this little game with myself that like my mind was a reality TV show and millions of people had access to what I was like thinking about myself, like all the time. And Mm -hmm. it helped me be like, wait, would I want the world to know I was thinking that like that I was talking to myself like that. (laughs) And it just, it helped me be an observer of my thoughts a little more. So let's, let's, let's work with this. So give me an example of like a a negative thought train, like a a dialogue the self-judger would have. Something like you're not pretty enough to do that, or uh, you've really let yourself go. You don't go to the gym as much as you did before and you shouldn't eat all those things. And Okay, Okay, great. Great. That you have no self-control, that kind of thing. Yeah. Sounds like a judger. Perfect. Okay. So when you notice your going down that negative thought train of I'm not pretty enough or I've really let myself go. Like you've got to observe it before the next thoughts come and just gently say, stop, stop. Thank you, self-judger for trying to protect me. This is not the way I want to go. And then almost visualize throwing that thought into a mental trash can. Mm -hmm. And then either if you can't shift to something positive, like, Totally change your thoughts, such as, oh, 
look at that beautiful tree or there's a squirrel running across the street or I wonder when the next X, you know, whatever movie's coming out or I got to watch the Game of Thrones finale or whatever, (laughs) whatever it needs to be. But this, Sarah, is massive because you're so, your self-judger is so strong because it really thinks it's protecting you. So you've got to start interrupting that, observing it without judgment. You don't want to judge the inner judge, observing it without judgment and slowing it down. And the other thing is I would definitely start doing some guided meditations. Like if you use the app Insight Timer or even Mm -hmm. go on YouTube and just look for guided meditations for empaths, look for meditations that help you protect your energy and not take on so much of the world because the more you're intentional about protecting your energy, not taking on so many other people's things, then the self-judger won't need to protect you so much if you're more intentional about how to protect yourself in a healthy way. Yeah. Now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's sort of like my, my guard dog can relax if I have a good alarm system. Mm-hmm. But if I have no alarm system and I don't live in a great neighborhood, that guard dog is going to be on alert all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's really about interrupting it, observing it, not judging it, knowing that it really serves a higher purpose, but then finding other ways to protect yourself energetically and giving yourself an outlet for your feelings. You know, like you've kind of sounded on the verge of tears this whole call. Yeah. Let yourself cry. Let yourself yell. That's the other thing. Empaths often hold everything in. And it's so important for us to give feelings an outlet. Like sometimes I'll just sit and cry and it won't even be mine. Yeah. And the more I do that, the less I need to do it. So you've got to just give yourself permission to feel without needing to know what it is, without needing to, without judging yourself, like just let yourself feel. And after you have a big emotional release, acknowledge yourself and nurture yourself. Like draw yourself a warm bath, listen to beautiful music, just like, and imagine just filling yourself up with love and light. Okay. Can I ask you one more question? Yeah. So I've been broken up with my ex for a while, but we, you know, still talk and that's where the back forth comes. And then you start missing things. And I, um, when I left, I moved away. And, you know, I'm not just missing him. I'm finding myself missing my friends and the old town and that sort of thing. So it's even more tempting to go back. And then when the person is crying and saying they've changed and that you're the love of their life, you know, that sort of thing, it plays on those emotions even more. How do I stay strong in my decision and cut that off without feeling like an awful person or like I'm hurting him so badly. Okay. Well, that's part of the manipulation, Sarah, Mm -hmm. you know, like him, he knows what he needs to do to get you back or to get him, get you to answer a phone call or text or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is you've, you've got to stop caring about hurting him. You know, I'm not telling you to go over with a golf club and beat him over the head. You know, we're not, that's (laughs) not, we're not talking about physical hurt here. We're talking about, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is the other thing that a lot of people, particularly empaths do is 
we think self-honoring choices are going to hurt someone else. Just because someone gets upset with my choices doesn't mean I have hurt them. Yeah. Now, if I lie to someone, cheat on someone, talk bad about someone, you know, there's ways to quote unquote hurt people, but you making a self-honoring choice and, and doing what's most healthy for you, that is not hurting someone else. If he gets upset about it, that's kind of predictable because that's what narcissists do. Yeah. I guess the other thing I've really struggled with is what if this was my one shot at true love? What if this person was my soulmate and maybe I'm not meant to let them go? And that's why this person keeps appearing in my life. I think you should read some books on narcissism, being in a relationship with a narcissist. Okay. Go on Amazon, use your intuition and, and read what other people, especially women are saying. And what read what experts are saying. And I think okay. that you'll get a lot more clarity. Okay. Because let me tell you this. Like I'm, I know I'm with my soulmate and I never question it. Okay. I'm never, you know, feeling disrespected, feeling like I'm not heard, feeling like I'm not supported. I mean, feeling respected and supported are, are kind of non-negotiables in a relationship. Yeah. And, and Sarah, he was a soulmate. Everyone that we have a relationship with that teaches our soul something is a soulmate. Yeah, I guess you're right. If you read some books on this and you know, even go online and read what other people write, I think that you'll start getting clear that this is really not the relationship that you want for the rest of your life. Yeah. How does it feel when I say that? Um, I guess sad on one hand, but it also feels a little like you gave me permission almost that I'm not locked into this forever. You're not my love. You're not. And I understand the grief and I understand, you know, five years with someone and you love him. I get that. But love is not enough. Yeah. You want healthy too. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And you'll have to grieve it. This is a breakup and I really, really strongly encourage no contact. This is going to be so hard to move on. And the self-judger, the more you're in contact with him, the more the self-judger is going to be there, Sarah, because it's it's going to think it needs to protect you again. Your guard yeah. dog is going to go crazy. It's all right. So if you cut off contact, let him be upset, support yourself, get some books, maybe get a therapist to help you work through this. There's lots of meetup groups and support groups for people who've been in relationship with narcissists. I mean, it's a thing. So it's the support is out there and you've just really got to choose you. Thank you, Christine. Does this help? Yeah, it really does. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your experience, for being so vulnerable and for just being open to this conversation. I know it's often challenging to hear some hard truths about people that we loved because that also has us look at hard truths about ourselves. But I hope Sarah and some of you listening also felt some relief and some freedom from this call. I want to talk a little bit about narcissism first. Like I said in the beginning, I'm not a clinician. I'm not in the business necessarily of diagnosing people. But from what Sarah was saying and all the questions that I asked her, including the one about whether she thought he was a narcissist, all signs kind of pointed to that. Again, we're only hearing her side of the story, but I would guess at the very least, this person exhibits 
narcissistic tendencies. And many of you listening who have been in a relationship with a narcissist or maybe are in now may be thinking, why am I attracted to this person? Why am I in this relationship where I'm being manipulated? I'm not getting my needs met. I feel like I'm losing myself in it. Well, it's actually quite common for both empaths and highly intelligent people, especially women, to be drawn to narcissists. One of the big reasons is because they're incredibly self-confident. They're incredibly self-confident and they're incredibly charming. So the self-confidence speaks to the part of us that feels a little insecure. So like in Sarah's case, one of her core issues from childhood is she didn't feel like she belonged. She felt like a weirdo. She felt separate. That impacts someone's confidence. That can make them feel insecure. So often we're drawn to people that are a positive projection. So if my whole life I felt like I didn't belong, I felt insecure, then someone who has a lot of confidence and who's the life of the party and who is very charismatic, which most narcissists are, is so appealing because they're that positive projection. Another reason empaths are often drawn to narcissists is because they see the potential. Like they see the, the person, the essence underneath the personality disorder and they fall in love with that. And what's so hard for empaths is that unlike empaths who feel everything, narcissists really don't have much capacity for empathy. They're more focused on themselves than they are being emotionally available or feeling what someone else could feel, which is why in Sarah's case, she felt like he was dismissing her. She felt disrespected by him because every time she'd want to talk about her life, her career, it was something that was kind of shunned or, or discouraged. He just wanted the focus on him. So highly sensitive people, empaths, rescuers, you got to watch that. You know, you see the potential and then you sometimes are blinded to the actual personality disorder. So another reason that intelligent, successful, particularly women are drawn to narcissists is because of that charisma. And because often narcissists present in a way that makes them seem like they just have it all together and they just are flying through life and everything's great and they're just the best thing since sliced bread. And that's often appealing and attractive because it's like, oh, wow, there's someone who really has it together. But then after a while, you realize that you've kind of been played. But usually at that point with a narcissist, you're already kind of hooked in. The other thing that I've seen in my research and talking to people who've been in relationships with narcissists is they're good in bed. That's another way their confidence comes through. They're very skilled. However, it depends how you define good in bed. There's skill and there's performance, but where they lack in terms of the sexual arena is that emotional intimacy during sex. They may have the moves and it may be super hot and super sexy, and that may draw you in at first. But after a while, you'll be missing that emotional intimacy. But often it is that hot sex that keeps people there. So what do you do? You know, how do you know if you're in a relationship with a narcissist? Well, you know, if you constantly feel like you're being manipulated in some way, you're being questioned, if you're interrupted, if that person's always the center of the conversation, if you don't feel like you're getting your needs met, those are all good indicators. Also, there is tons of information on the web. There are so many books about this. If you have any questions at all, 
I encourage you to do your own research or even talk to a therapist about it. Talk to a clinician who actually can help you diagnose. And if you are on the fence about it, you're like, well, I don't know, start asking the person to get more of your needs met. Start making requests. Start talking about yourself more and see how quickly you're interrupted. See if their words and behavior match. Like if you say, I'd really love for us to spend more time together on weeknights and the person says, okay, okay, sure. See if the words and behavior match consistently. Now, words and behavior not matching doesn't necessarily make someone narcissist, but when there's a lot of other tendencies there, it can point to that. But again, I encourage you to do your own research. So really in my work with Sarah, it was to open her eyes a little bit to the reality of this, to see her end of it, to see that her feeling of not belonging and her own insecurity were part of what drew this in. And also to help her see that she's an empath, that she's a high feeler. And in a lot of ways, empaths and narcissists kind of go together because both have trouble with feelings. They're two extremes. Narcissists just are totally disconnected from empathy and feeling. And empaths have the channel too open. You know, oftentimes we feel way too much. And so our work is to kind of have boundaries, right? Actually have boundaries and not take so much on and be a little more quote unquote selfish. And really narcissists, it's really for them to not have the mirror always focused on themselves to have more of an open heart. And, you know, after I finished this coaching session with Sarah, Stephanos was working out outside and I went out and I said, do you think that narcissism is curable or treatable? And we got into this conversation about it and most clinicians will say it's not. I never like to say something's not curable or treatable. The thing is though, a narcissist has to want to be treated. They have to realize they have narcissistic tendencies and want to change it. Is it curable? Is it treatable? I want to say there's the possibility of it. It would be only anecdotal at this point, but I never want to say something is black and white and there's no changing it. Now, if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, I highly encourage you not to hang on the hope that the person can change because most narcissists don't wake up one day and go, oh, you're not getting your needs met. Let me go to therapy and change myself. It has to be self-initiated, self-instigated. So if you do find yourself in a relationship with a narcissist, again, I highly recommend talking to a therapist and really deciding, is this the way you want to spend your life? Because most people who are in relationships with narcissists are not getting their needs met, which is why with Sarah, when she said, I'm afraid this person is my soulmate. I'm afraid I let him get away. We really got to the truth of, is this really the way you wanted to spend the rest of your life? You know, cause that was only the first like five years of their relationship. And, you know, the first few years are usually the easiest years. And when she opened her eyes to the truth of the situation, that she was more in love with the potential than the reality then she was able to see, oh, wow, like sure this was a soulmate in terms of teaching me some valuable lessons, but this isn't my soulmate life partner. And if you're starting to have that realization about someone that you're with, first you have my compassion because when someone has a personality disorder, we do still see their essence. We see their soul. We see and feel love. 
But like I said to Sarah, love isn't enough. You also need someone that will meet you in emotional availability, in mutual respect, and really honoring you. So if you're starting to realize that you aren't honored and respected in your relationship, I strongly encourage you to take a serious look at that and ask, is this the relationship I want to be in? And then spend some time looking at the relationship with yourself, why you drew in this relationship, and get clear about the kind of relationship you want to have moving forward. And P.S., breaking up with a narcissist (laughs) is usually never easy because it's damaging to their ego. They'd rather break up with you. And so in Sarah's case, she's having a hard time moving on because her ex is still kind of coming back into the picture know, that's very common too. For their ego, they like to kind of keep people around. They don't like it when someone puts down firm boundaries. So my encouragement to her was to put down firm boundaries, no contact so she could move on. That would be my same encouragement to you. So some takeaways for you. If you are concerned that someone in your life, whether it be in a relationship or a friend or a boss or even a parent, is a narcissist, don't freak out do a little research, maybe set up an appointment to talk to a counselor or clinician and just be curious about it. And if you are sure about it, I encourage you to take some action to really ask yourself, is this a relationship I want? Is this the life I want? Am I in love with someone's potential or am I really seeing the truth in the situation? Next, for all my fellow weirdos out there, let's drop that word. Let's drop that word weirdo and replace it with something like empathic, highly sensitive, big feeler, creative. Drop the judgment words. We all feel weird in our own way. If you can say you're weird and own it and love it, great. But if you're saying you're weird with judgment, tell the truth instead. You're highly sensitive. You're creative. You're an empath. You're an introvert. Whatever it may be, choose a word that doesn't make you judge yourself. And empaths. I probably, I probably need to do an episode solely on narcissism and I probably need to do another one on empathy. So those will come up in the next few months or so. But empaths, it's so important for you to protect your energy, to not allow other people's feelings to get into your field, to not take on the world. I always tell empaths, it's so important to be a little more selfish. And I use the word selfish intentionally because empaths are the farthest thing from selfish. So by saying selfish, I'm hoping that I'm moving you to being a little more self-honoring. And finally, my mastery course is always open to you. We just had a beautiful retreat up in Marina Del Rey. Such an incredible group. If you want to join, go to christinehassler.com slash mastery. It's my online course, but every month we have live monthly group coaching calls. I'm very active in the Facebook community. And it's a beautiful way to take the work that you're doing on the show deeper and to connect more personally with me. Again, christinehassler.com slash mastery. All right, everybody, that's the show for today. Sorry that I still have my little nasally voice. I'll be better by next week. Sending you all so much love. Thank you for listening to Over It Non With It. I love hearing from you. So please post your comments or questions at christinehasler.com slash podcast. That's also the place you can sign up to receive coaching from me in an upcoming episode. And if you love this show, please share it and subscribe on iTunes. You can find all my social media handles and sign up to be part of my community at christinehasler.com. Until next week, here's to getting over it and on with it. Much love and many blessings.